James Baldwin was a writer in the 1960s. He grew up in Harlem. He grew up as the son of a Pentecostal preacher who early on discovered the church. And yet he felt that that church had let him down, had not given him the love, the unconditional love that he knew could be embodied in faith. And he wrote this in 1962. As he reflected on religion and the, the reason behind and the reason for faith in the world, he said, it is for this reason that love is so desperately sought and so cunningly avoided. Love takes off the masks that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. What was the point, the purpose of my salvation if it did not permit me to behave with love toward others, no matter how they behaved towards me. Love is not merely in the personal sense, but as a state of being or a state of grace. What is the point of my salvation if it does not permit me to love others, no matter how they behaved towards me? I think love is the mark of freedom. And yet we so often forget this reality. Even though it comes to us from so many wise people in the world, the ones that we put on a pedestal, the ones that we look at and we say, yeah, they got it. Dr. King, Martin Luther King, who said, I have decided to stick with love because hate is too great a burden to bear. Mother Teresa, who said, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Nelson Mandela, walking out of prison after 28 years, said, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Anne Frank, under Nazi occupation, said, in spite of everything, I still believe people are good at heart. And another voice from that era, Viktor Frankl, from a concentration camp, reflected that everything can be taken away from a person, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. We are told over and over again in multiple different ways, in the most difficult places our world can be, that true freedom is love. Beatrice Bruteau, in her book, Radical Optimism, says there's two different kinds of freedom. The first one is choice freedom. And this is pretty simple. You know, I'll have salad or I'll have the soup. I'll, I like red or I like yellow. I'm a dog person or a cat person. I'll have the almond milk or the oat milk. These are the simple choices that we have that most of us are free to be able to make. But there's a second kind of freedom that she talks about, and this is creative freedom. This is the kind of freedom in which we are not bound by 
anything, any of our baggage, any of our old stories, any of the, the programming that we have from our culture or from our family. This is true creative freedom that I think springs from who we really are, from our souls, from our true selves, as Thomas Merton would say. This is that place deep within us that we, we don't always find, and sometimes it's hard to sift through all of the things that have been given to us and the stories we've believed and the stories we tell ourselves. But creative freedom is that soul freedom. I love what one writer says, he, she called it the uncolonized mind. How can we get to that uncolonized mind? That place in which we really are free of all of those things that seek our attention. The things that are less than love. This is really, I think, the goal of our spiritual practice is to move out of that reaction place, out of cycles of resentment and reactivity, and into a place where we can fully and freely love just as James Baldwin and his friends were talking about. To love even when there is no reason to love. I picked uh, this text, 1 John 5, actually, because uh, this was the text that I had to write a paper for from my lectionary group. I have a group of friends, and we we research scripture together and we do our study and we come together and we share about different Sundays. And, and I picked 1 John 5 kind of as a little bit of a surprise to me because when I first looked at it, I thought, well, that's not the one I'm going to write on. Because <laughs> I don't really like 1 John very much, um, honestly. It, it kind of has this circular reasoning and there's a lot of words in there that have lost meaning for me over time. Um, you know, I mean, love is an easy word to throw around. Uh, belief is something that I think we've misused. Um, but there's one that I really, really don't like in First John, and that is the word obey. Now, I picked a translation for Chris to read that didn't have obey in it, but when it says, when you keep God's commands, it's translated in other translations, we obey God's commands. Now, I don't know how you feel about this word, but to me, it brings up a lot of really negative imagery. It brings up uh, parents who, who aren't maybe parenting creatively or with the child and are just saying, you do what I say, you obey, you'll like it whether you, you know, like it or not. Um, it brings up marriage vows, which we, we won't do here in this church if someone asks us to use obey myself and the rest of the staff ministers won't use that in a marriage vow from a woman to a man because of the way that it's fostered abuse throughout throughout history it also comes up in empire that you're blindly to obey a government that may not have your best interest at heart that may be working for its own interest so I'm not really crazy about this word obey, but I spent a little bit of time with it in the spirit of what Inigo Montoya says to Vizzini in The Princess Bride when he says about the word inconceivable, I do not think that word means what you think it means. 
So I stuck stuck with it for a little bit longer, looked at what the Greek word really means. And the Greek word is actually this sense of keeping, of attending to, of standing on the shoulders of and, and honoring good teaching. It has the sense of, of studying and staying with something long enough for it to become a part of who you are. And so when the writer of 1 John says that we keep God's commands or we obey God's commands, it's the sense of becoming a student to something else besides ourselves. Uncolonizing our mind, becoming able to be in that creative freedom rather than than a slave or bound to lesser narratives. To obey God is is not to do things that, that you shouldn't do, but to obey God is to watch carefully the way of love, the path of belonging, the opening of community. To obey God is to become free for a love that arises from our deepest identity as children of God. Finding the creative freedom of unconditional love is a lifetime endeavor for almost all of us. But it's particularly difficult for those of us who are most of us in this room who have been raised in an individualist and consumer-oriented society. We have to learn to ask ourselves different kinds of questions, like where am I caught in cycles of self-protection? Where am I tripping over my ego? Where am I trapped in resentment and reactivity? Where is this situation more about me and mine than about us and ours? And it's to always have the freedom to choose love, no matter what the other person is giving back to you. It seems like this time in our history and in our world is a time for all of us to be particularly attentive to this. I know for me, as as much as the introvert in me has really liked getting to stay home this last year, there's also a a little bit of of a little more self, self-absorption than maybe I would have had otherwise because I haven't gotten out. I haven't been in a room with other people. And so, so all of us are having to attend to a different way of being in the world. And we also have the capacity to create new ways of being as we rethink our lives and our patterns in light of this, this Trinitarian reality this love of community, this love of others. We can intentionally shift our time and our resources, our attention to the loving way of Jesus, to keep his commandments, letting those be our true north. I don't know what your practices are for this. I think for me, there's a few things. There's the individual practices. There's the just sitting sometimes long enough to remember and listen to my soul breathing, 
to get past the narratives and what's on top of my mind and what's in the headlines of the day and hear what's really happening and hear my true, my soul, meet God's love for me. But there's also community practices. There's ways I spend my time. And one of the primary ways that I choose to spend my time outside of my work and family is to, to work with African Road, which is an organization based in Portland. It's especially on my mind today because my friend Kelly, who's the executive director there, just flew home from her first trip in 18 months to see our friends there. And the reason that I love this work, not only because it's amazing work, but is because it puts me in the pathway of a different culture and different ways of thinking, of people who truly embody this way of more community orientation, community awareness. It's those who have survived genocide, those who have lived on the very edges of our world's economic system and who still know how to forgive even those who have hurt them the most deeply. Those who know how to gather together in love and find sustenance in the presence of God. Who know the power of what friendship can do. Now it's not because... Um, we just have so much capacity in our culture to protect ourselves from that kind of love and that kind of way of being. And so when you're with others who, who are a little further, um, without all of the cushions that we have, it's a little easier to see this reality. I love walking the ground of the Togetherness Cooperative in Kigali, Rwanda began by Pastor Stephen, who's been here in this church with us a few years ago. Pastor Stephen, who was, became, was a pastor, wanted to spread the word of God and realized that there was a lot of orphans who needed homes. And so we began child-headed households where kids lived together and created their own families. And that became buying a prop, being able to buy a piece of property together in which there is now a preschool, a soccer pitch, a well, a bakery, an organic farm, a few cows, and an extra piece of property that's waiting to be developed into community centers so the community can have a place to gather. That kind of reality comes out of this kind of creative freedom. Out of, out of believing that something more is possible when we tend to the commandments of God, when we maybe even obey them, when we allow ourselves to, to more and more embody that kind of creative freedom that sees God's love become a reality in our world. That Trinitarian dance of community is possible. So may each of us continue to walk in that way, to follow those commandments, to be present to that love in our world. Amen. In the next few moments, uh, we'll take 
our offering, which looks a little different maybe than it has in the past. If you're online or you've got your smartphone in front of you, uh, there's information as to how to uh, pay, uh, to give online or to text. And then um, as you leave, if you're here in the sanctuary, there are also offering plates on the side. Let us give for that dream of community, for that Trinitarian dance to become real in our world. Partner, be. 